Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, the network that you're listening to. I'm trying to be <laughs> professional today. I was you like, started what? out pure, pure Adderall, yeah. and then you went like... Um, doubt. <laughs> yeah. The Adderall to doubt spectrum there was deep. I, now I was thinking about it today uh, as I was walking in the office. What if The Vergecast was like a like a regular show, like a good show, yeah. we'd have like an intro, you know, like this week on the Verge cast sponsored by blah, blah, like it would be oh. that. And I'd be like, Hey everybody, welcome to the, <laughs> and then I thought I would do it. And I just utterly failed. Anyway, I'm your friend, Neli. Paul Miller is here. Hello. Dieter Bone. Not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> we, ha- we have like a, a dense show today. Mm. So it's not, there's not, not a lot of things happen, but all the things that happened were deep. Mm. So it's not like a grab bag. It's like a very focused, deep dive into things. Uh, we have Liz Lapato is going to do This Week in Elon for us, yes. which makes me very happy. This Week in Elon, I think, will become <laughs> the truest recurring segment. I feel like Elon heard This Week in Elon. It's like, well, I got to give him a week. He's <laughs> like, I got to do it. Uh, and then, you know, it's not like us to call out the sponsors and give them free stuff, but Paul's segment is sponsored this That's right. week, which is incredible. Just you wait. So, You're going to want to buy so much quality product. Yeah, it's going to be great. Very soon. Okay, let's begin. So, a lot of Apple news this week. It was the 10-year anniversary of the App Store, and yep. Apple celebrated by releasing slightly faster laptops, as far as I can tell. No, they did a whole thing. It was 10 years of the App Store. They did a whole piece... Apple does editorial now, which is like a very interesting thing for them to do. So they did a whole thing about what apps look like. We did a whole thing about what apps look like. A bunch of Mac sites said, here's my um, apps have gotten uglier and less information dense over time. And I think that is absolutely wild. And that from all of the things that we looked at over that 10 year period, the one screenshot that stuck out to me, I think Dan tweeted out, it was, it was in 95 Mac, I think. The Facebook app used yeah. to show you five posts on a 3.5 inch screen. And now it barely shows you one. Right. And everything else yeah. is like interface cruft. I don't know that I agree that they've gotten uglier. They've definitely gotten uglier. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't agree. They've gotten more refined in like one particular way. Are you saying you miss the felt? What, what's they ugly? have They have far less character. They all definitely look the same now. Mm-hmm. And that sameness, I think, is it's more, refi- it's more refined on, in one axis. But on another axis, it's... It's definitely a little bit. It's all on brand in a way. Yeah, everything is. Um, Kyle Chica is a great writer. He's written for us. He's written for. He's termed this airspace. Like everything looks like uh, an Airbnb in a nice city. Hmm. Like, everything everywhere is this like weird minimal aesthetic, and that's every app too. And like we, that loss of character to me is like just looking at all the screenshots really really came through. Hmm. But anyway, that's not really the Apple news. I just wanted to intro the MacBooks by saying it was ten years of the App Store. I will say one thing about the about the anniversary is it made me. Um, a little bit nostalgic for that period right before the App Store when people were making a bunch of homebrew apps and we figured out how to get them on the phone. We played Lights Out and the the Tap Tap Revolution game. There were there were like there were a handful of games and apps that were native that you could get if you knew what you're doing. And it really felt like you were like in the cool kids club and it didn't require a ton of work to get into the cool kids club. Um, in a way that if you if you want to hack an iPhone now and do something that's outside the bounds of the App Store, man, have fun. That's like that's not as easy as it used to be. And like there's trade-offs there. It's more secure, et cetera, et cetera. But nevertheless, it's the barrier to entry to like hack away on the thing you own is much higher now. Yeah, and the excitement about jailbreaking the first phone did not come with 
an entire body of Fourth Amendment jurisprudence and concerns about <laughs> Russian election hacking that they just it just absolutely does now. Yeah, it was a sweeter, innocent time. Yeah, uh, Dieter I, was our competitor at that time. I don't even remember this. I was a fierce competitor over there at the Mobile Nations. I ran a database of homebrew software for the Palm Pre, not for the iPhone. Wow. Anyway. The, well, you were going to say something. Well, I just wanted to say that I celebrated the anniversary by downloading a clicker game last mm-hmm. night. Me and my roommate played mm-hmm. it competitively for about five hours straight. <laughs> I got <Paul> <laughs> All right. So I, I just did that. To me, that's where the app store is at. It's like this clicker game is so good. It's so refined. There's been years of clicker game ideas. And this is like a, a melding of them and taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a pinch it, and it's beautiful and seamless. And, and then it asks you for a $40 net purchase to go to the next level before wait Absolutely. 30 minutes? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. No no waiting. No, they get, they, hmm. they've, got it, they've got it down. They've right. got it down. I believe you. What was the clicker game called? Almost a hero. That's not the ad for Paul segment. That's just that's a real endorsement. Come at me <laughs> with your almost a hero prestige. All right. Here's the real news. New laptops. Dieter was in town. We went mm-hmm. to the Apple event together yesterday. It was, I think Dieter used the phrase shock and awe to describe this event. Mm-hmm. So like usually when a company spec bumps a laptop, they put out a press release. Maybe they'll send you one. But you understand what's happening, which is that Intel released new processors. Right. And then on some timeline, right. they got mm-hmm. put into a laptop. If you're a PC manufacturer, that timeline is like 20 minutes. If you're Apple, it's four years, but on some <laughs> right. timeline, there were new Intel chips and they were placed into your laptop. Yeah, no, that, that timeline's super important that if it were par for the course for there to be a new Intel chip and then a beat and then Apple releases laptops that have the new Intel chip, they absolutely could have just done a press release, but they don't do that. <laughs> so they had to do something bigger. So Apple had a huge event space here in New York. They had this just series of incredibly impressive people who use Macs in their creative work. Mm -hmm. So we met the director of the Despacito video and his editor, who were super cool. We met an 18-year-old who coded an app to help his um, autistic brother communicate better using icons that read words to you. Super cool. Uh, Really, It's an incredibly impressive kid. Uh, We met another 18-year-old who she's going to Stanford in the fall. She started an academy to teach uh, kids how to code, um, and she built a VR app um, that helps you have empathy for people with schizophrenia. Like, just like the most impressive people. We met the guy who produced a bunch of songs with Alicia Keys and Alicia Cara and uh, Rihanna, won a bunch mm-hmm. of Grammys. Is that why the trumpet is in the Virgin? That was a different guy. That was a young guy who has a record deal, and he showed us how he writes tr- trumpet music. I mean, he has like a pop. Right. He's like a pop guy, but he's like, I'm gonna write a trumpet solo in real time with you, and he showed up like looping logic um. and recording multiple tracks and like comping them together. We saw a molecular. I mean, I can just keep going. This was a long yeah. time. There were we twelve. Saw- there were a total of twelve different demos, and it uh, it was. They said it'll probably take something a little over two hours. We ended up being there for over three for sure. Yeah, and, and nothing against these people. They're all incredibly impressive, and yeah, every single one of them. There's a like a verge story to write about them. Here's how technology is enabling this really cool neuroscientist to map how brains work in C. elegans using Unity. Mm. That's cool. Here's uh, yeah. here's an artist who's making gigapixel photography using like a robotic camera tripod. Super like here's just, a scientist that has taken all of the dirt cheap parts that are getting made by the millions for smartphones and repurposing them to create portable air quality. Uh, 
monitors so that people can strap them on and go about their day and it measures where they are in G- with via GPS and then they can down to like the block identify where the worst air pollution is and then use that to identify the sources of that air pollution. Beautiful. I mean, come on. I mean, it was what and so we're in these demos. Mm-hmm. They've all had the new laptops for some time. Unclear and you can't really come at like a genius 18-year-old yeah. and be like did the faster laptop really help you? You just yeah. have to be like, you're <laughs> wonderful, and I hope that you are put in charge of something very soon. Uh, and you can't yep. really – so it was like that you, kind you of You also stilted. can't ask them, aren't you glad Apple waited to get it right? <laughs> <laughs> and then so – so I just – I want to make it very clear that, that the demos and the people we met were incredibly impressive. Mm. And, it, you know, and that, that Verge – world of like technology helps you make culture the culture like right in our lane yeah but that wasn't yep. the story right the story was that there's eighth gen <laughs> intel processors in a laptop that looks exactly the same as the old laptop mm. that runs the same software um with radeon graphics with radeon graphics radeon graphics um yeah. and now there's a t2 chip that manages the boot sequence and touch ID and you just connecting those things. Mm. I looked at all yeah. the coverage was just hard. Our friend Lauren Good quieter, was quieter keyboards. Yep. So that's like so that's the main thing. So yeah, we do I just want to set this stage. Little, I do want to talk a little bit more about the T two chip on the Vergecast that I did in the post because it does deserve more credit than than we just than we've given. But I, I just want to set this but. up. So before we go to meet all these impressive people, you know, Dieter and I are sitting on a, on a couch and Lauren was sitting across and. They were just going through the specs, like, here's the laptop, and then we're going to meet all these impressive people. All of us are just like, keyboard, talking about the keyboard. And they're like, we made it quieter. People love the keyboard, we made it quieter. And, like, we, like Laura and I, like, looked at each other and then both, like, deferred, like, are you gonna? Are you gonna ask? And, like, and Lauren's like, "Did you make it more reliable?" And they were like, "You know, not a lot of them break. Actually, people love them. It's about the same. We think we think it'll be about the same." And both of yep. us were like, we looked at each other again. Like, would you like to ask the follow up? Because <laughs> we were just like, we could have just like attacked. So that that's the the story with the MacBook is they've had problems with the keyboard. Uh, Casey Johnson at the Outline is again person who's been driving the story. There's a class action lawsuit about the keyboard. They have a four year repair extension on these keyboards, and their answer is it's not that big of a problem. Mm-hmm. Most people love them. The size of the problem from Apple's perspective, it's like a on, a on a vast beach of laptops, it's like one or two tiny grains of sand. But it turns out that one or two tiny grains of sand can really ruin your experience <laughs> and keep your whole keyboard from working. Uh, well, I mean, they sell a lot of laptops. So even on a on a on a relative basis, right? You're like it's a fractional percentage. But it was but an absolute running, basis. It was a running joke. Yeah. It was a meme. It was so yep. Obviously. Anyway, like, here's how much Apple didn't want to talk about this issue. Not only did they not address the repair stuff, um, towards the end of the event, I was like, okay, so you made it quieter. How'd you make it quieter? What'd you do to make it quieter? We don't want to talk about that. It took all the sand out. Yeah, they, they were like, uh, <laughs> they're like, we're sure someone will tear it down and figure it out. Which is probably, it's actually a correct answer. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. someone else can do that work. We're, we're not going to tell you. But I, that, to me, is like the real split. Like, there's so many things to talk about with the actual product. And in many ways, rightfully, Apple sees it as itself as a company that doesn't just make laptops. They make these like 
tools that enable people to do great things. And they want to focus on that. But th- it's so interesting to me, th- this whole context, because this is what I've been arguing is like that just Apple needs to put a, make a box that holds an NVIDIA GPU and a modern Intel process. Just buy, go to Newegg, go to PC Part Picker and make a computer for professionals. Yeah. And the idea is that professionals use their tools in novel ways. Yeah. They are creative and focused and expert and they can figure it out and you don't have to design their entire experience for them like you might want to do with a more consumer product. But but very few laptops are constructed that way. So this is an event about laptops and mm-hmm. I will say throughout all of these demos we saw a bunch of stuff that Apple doesn't usually show anybody. We saw a yeah. lot of professionals getting into that file system yeah. and just doing a bunch of file system stuff and like moving a bunch of badly named files from one window into another. You know, like they were doing, they were showing us the work. Yeah. And so I, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that Apple is like clear about what the Mac should do versus what the iPad should do. And there was no, there's no babying of the computer usage here. We've, right. We were seeing real people who actually do the work. Apple was very insistent that they hadn't paid them. They all just volunteered to come be a part of this thing. Um, and they were showing us how they do their work. So that's great. Um, I just think the actual computer is not – like that's not that story, mm-hmm. right? Like Dieter and I always argue about instruments versus tools. So you made a great video, a great processor video about how you should call it your technology instruments. And to me, this whole event was the best argument ever that they're just tools, like you could take away the laptop they had and put in a different laptop and they would probably get to the same end result. Right. Right. And like they don't have and I think that that was the big disconnect. But we should actually talk about the laptop. So Dieter, you want to start with the T2 chip? Sure. I guess it's it's a random place to start. But the so the T2 chip, the 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 thing that they did beyond the Intel processors, which well, I guess we'll get into later, is they they took the internals of these things and made them basically operate from like a system level in a similar way to the way the iMac Pro works, which is that there's this T2 chip and it controls the touch bar. It controls the encryption on the SSD, which means that you can have faster encryption because they can do hardware encryption stuff. It um, it does a bunch of other like random security stuff. And, and that is the thing that allows them to uh, just add a bunch of extra, I don't know, security and just moving stuff around in there. Um, so they did that. It also, I think, is the thing that allows them to control the True Tone display. Um, so it's basically, I think it's basically a little iOS chip in there. Uh, so that that gives them True Tone on the display and also on the touch bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's like the most Apple yeah. thing. Right, they're like, uh, we I have was, another actually, LCD. Yeah, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Sam Byford and my notes said, my notes from the the meeting were like, Oh, and there's True Tone on the Touch Bar, LOL, like because I didn't care. And he's like, no, thank God. Thank God. It would be so annoying to have a True Tone display and not a True Tone Touch Bar. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know, like higher levels for max RAM, better RAM, higher levels for max, max storage. Um, they That higher RAM uh, takes often takes up more power, and so they increase the watt hours on both the 15 and the 13-inch, uh, significantly more apparently on the 13-inch. Um, but they're saying that the overall battery life is going to end up being a wash because of that higher power draw. What if you um, get less RAM but... Do they put less battery in if you get less RAM? 
I don't think so. No, I think it's just the battery is the battery is the battery. Um, but they didn't fundamentally re-architect the thing. So right. they made the keyboard quieter, but presumably you've got to like completely replace it if it breaks. They didn't add new ports. They didn't add Face ID. They didn't change the screen so it has fewer bezels. They didn't add touch to the screen because that that's never this ever going to happen. Uh, for no us. 4K screens on these laptops. Yeah. Um, and I think no, the color profile thing. It's still not the full gamut. I mean, it was just fun yeah. for me. That that's the compromise I would make if I was building a laptop custom. They did say, which I think is really interesting, uh, running True Tone has a minor effect on battery life that the bigger battery will compensate for. Hmm. And I think hmm. it's because they're they're actively controlling the brightness in a like super aggressive way. Hmm. Yeah, it's just like a, it's a lot. Yeah, we should get into the processors, but the the main thing that's interesting to me is how aggressively Apple is focusing on talking to pro users. It's the behind the Mac campaign. They had the iMac Pro. They had the whole long thing that we know we promised the Mac Pro is coming. We've got these new MacBook Pros, but uh, they didn't update the 13-inch MacBook Escape that doesn't have a touch bar. That's the same. Mm -hmm. And they didn't update the MacBook Air. And I didn't even mention that they didn't update the Mac Mini because <laughs> why would they do that? <laughs> there have been rumors that like there's updates for that that stuff coming. But what's fascinating to me is like the thing the 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 most successful Mac of all time, I firmly believe, is the 13 inch MacBook Air. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I don't. I don't think you can really argue with that. It is. It was the best laptop for at least half a decade. Do you think they uh, if thought not longer. the MacBook would be? The, the I'm just going to point so. this out. The successor. It's the not. MacBook Air is on sale today. They canceled yeah. the 2015 MacBook Pro, which is the MacBook I on have. sale as in like deals, deals, deals. Or no, you can just buy. You can just spend a thousand dollars and buy a brand new MacBook Air right. today. Yeah, you will not get a yeah. Retina display. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this thing is crazy. What's what's the processor in that? I mean, look, it's a 1.8 gigahertz dual core Intel i5. Womp womp. It's not a so fast, the, but they still sell it because yeah. people still want this thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, all that'll come hopefully in October. It better because that's that's the big question to me is at what like all this pro talk is great. I love pros. We're gonna we're gonna have pros look at this laptop and we review it. We're gonna get into it. But if you want a good thousand dollar Mac. The question is, does Apple really want to sell that to you anymore, or do they want you to buy an iPad? Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that question at all, because the iPad is still it's still not quite there. I think they know that. There's also a yep. rumored iPad refresh coming this fall, and it's back to school time. I just so it's really how... weird to not put out a... Oh, you're right. It is back to school. Oh, like, it's really weird to not have the, the computer for back to school. Right it's now. not like Apple yeah. doesn't know when Intel comes out with new chips. I just don't see how this is so hard. Refresh your laptops when Intel releases new chips. Is that is that bowing and scraping to Intel? Is that like hurt their pride? Yeah. I do think that Apple wants to not have the expectation that they have to refresh their Macs every year. Like, I really do believe that Apple doesn't think that the newest Intel chips every year, year in, year out, is um, a must-buy. They, they think that their Macs can still be good with a slightly older chip, and they don't want people to have the mindset that if it doesn't have the latest chip, it's therefore bad. Um, but I also think that they've taken that philosophy a little too far. But let me... <laughs> That point is well taken, and I, I understand why, because you presumably have to do the work to, like, update the computer for the new processor, and that work is costly. But they're the richest company in the world. They're, they will one day, at the rate they're going, have literally a trillion dollars in cash. I don't think this is mm -hmm. really difficult hardware to support either. 
Yeah, it's the, that part is confusing. It's just generally confusing to me. I, I think, like, but I think it, it like, comes down to they know who the Mac users they need are pros because pros make the apps, they make the videos, they build the halo around the brand. Right. They can get you know they when they do the behind the scenes when they do the behind the Mac campaign and Grimes is in it, she's using a Mac and like that creates a Apple halo. Mm-hmm. The consumers they don't need. That they already have are the people who are just like buying iPhones and like hate their Windows laptop. You know, maybe they'll sell you an iPad. They don't, it's like there's just not enough action at this part of the Mac. Even if you look at Mojave, Mojave is like dark mode and, folder, right. and finder stacks and file management systems. Were most of these pros, they were showing, so you said Unity, but there was like Logic and stuff. Cause I just wonder how much yeah. of it is like, are you um, hostage? Are you a Mac hostage? That's what I really want to know from people. Are you a Mac hostage or or you just like this is this is what I vastly prefer? No. So we uh, the, they got asked a bunch of those questions because like again, what else are you really going to ask? Mm-hmm. Like why do you why do you like your Mac? Genius. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> like what else are you going to do? And you know, all of them said something along the lines of, "I've always used Macs. I love Macs." That. The um, neuroscientist told us, like, I've had Apple products since my 2GS Steve Wozniak special edition. Mm-hmm. And then he, like, looked around and was like, does anybody know what that is? And it, some of us were like, I wonder if I'm big nerd. I know what that is. <laughs> uh, so, like, all that was cool, right? Like, they, they were in it. And some of them, some of, some of them told us, like, um, I think it was the molecular biologist said she had a PC, uh, like, basically a gaming PC to mm-hmm. do some of the rendering she does. And then the Apple people are like, time to, time to go on. <laughs> um, uh, so like I, it wasn't that. I think they they honestly prefer these tools. Mm-hmm. I think once you are you're not held hostage by a tool that you're really comfortable with, it empowers you because you don't have to think about it. And that was like a message that they were all sending. Right. But that again, it's like we we've slid back into talking about this event instead of the laptops. Mm-hmm. So like the Radeon yep. GPUs, like they released an eGPU that they developed with Blackmagic. Blackmagic, um, and it's a very confusing product to me. It is six ninety nine. Um, it has four USB three ports on the back with USB A connectors. Mm-hmm. It can obviously power your laptop. Um, it has like two USB C plugs on the back. Yeah, and I was like, but what yeah. are these USB A connectors for? And they're like, we wanted to build it so it would just support the Vive. Like they built it so that you could uh, run the Vive off of it. Uh, and I was like, why don't you use Nvidia cards? Like it's always AMD. Like where's your Nvidia card? And their answer was AMD is really in the metal, which is their graphics subsystem. And so, like, we do really tight hardware software integration with Metal. And I was like, but, you know, NVIDIA has drivers, I right? mean, that's the other thing where, I mean, it's pretty wonky, but that's the other thing where Apple is really ostracizing developers. I mean, the world has basically converged on Vulkan, and Apple has decided to go its own way with Metal. Yep. And, like, like developers are, like, writing, like, shims between them. And they're doing a lot of extra work that seems like it wouldn't have to be, I don't know. It seems like it wouldn't have to be necessary. But, but Apple could at least do developers the service of officially supporting Vulkan so developers don't have to duplicate all their work. Like, if, you're, if your idea is that you're creating computers and software to support people to get things done, Hey, guess what? People are making things with Vulkan. Support Vulkan, and now they can accelerate it on the Mac. Now your products can help people do the things. <laughs> like it just—it's like Apple's way of helping you is, oh, you have to write 
for a different shader language? I don't know. It's just. Stupid. Well, what if theirs is better? It very well might be. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really, I, I have no way of technically yeah. comparing Metal and Vulcan. But Vulcan is a standard. Yeah. And Metal is Apple's little baby. It is. And it, yeah. But they did point out NVIDIA can release drivers and support eGPUs, and NVIDIA can do that if they want. And it's all officially supported in Mojave now. And so like that's like a thing. Like when Apple talks about iOS products, they do not talk about open driver support. They don't right like I think they have a sense of what the Mac is in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it mm-hmm. is the thing where you can buy a box and plug in a GPU and if the vendor writes a driver, it'll work. At least that's still there. I think there was a moment when people really worried that Apple was just going to leave all of that behind. Right, and they're just going to close the thing Which, and focus on the phone. And Mojave's idea of let's pour iOS apps to the Mac instead of turning the Mac into iOS, I feel like that was a really good signal to me in that sense. Yeah. So, Dieter, you're always talking about the future of computers, and it's funny just talking about this right now, the lack of processor updates, the sort of $1,000 hole in the middle of the lineup. It, this is just where that ARM Mac would land. Right, you've got the big Intel workstation eGPU situation at the high end for pros, mm-hmm. and your consumer product is a ARM Mac with great battery life, better performance than the low end Intel CPUs. This ability yep. to run versions of iOS apps that you're already familiar with. I mean, this is the zone, right? But is so that the, what they're the just question there is how long is that going to take? Because I've had this idea that they're they don't like the way that the Intel chips are constructed. That they're they're unhappy with Intel. They don't trust them. Blah 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 blah. There's lots of reasoning for for that. We've talked about it in the past. But how long can they hold out until the Mac software ecosystem is ready for those ARM laptops? Yeah, I mean, I th- worry that- about that. Like they've they've gone a long time without having a really good thousand dollar laptop. Like I love the MacBook. I'd love it, um, but it is just a little bit too underpowered. And I don't know, they'll, they'll, they'll spec bump it, it'll be fine, but it's just kind of dangerous place to be fallow. It's precisely the place where the MacBook Air was dominant. It's the most important part of the laptop ecosystem, I think. And they're just consistently playing a losing hand there. And if they're, if they're thinking, we're just going to lose here for a while until the ARM MacBook comes out, man, there is a lot riding on that ARM MacBook, like a lot. And that's, a, that's another year away, right? At, at, at best, it's a year away. Yeah. I don't know, man. It just seems, they seem content with it. I mean, they're going to keep selling iPhones and iPads, and they're going to make money hand over fit. I mean, if you think that's the future, then why even play the, the medium hand? Why, why have to support you know, a generation of consumers who bought this product that you were never really that invested in when you can just sell them a MacBook Air with a USB-A port and they won't complain about dongles? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, they told us, uh, we, I asked about the USB-C ecosystem, mm-hmm. and they're like, it's simple, which was amazing. No. <laughs> they were like, there's Not three that. cables you need to understand. Just three. They all have the same connector. There is your charge cable that comes with your uh, MacBook that just charges mm-hmm. it. There is USB-C, and there's Thunderbolt. And in there, this is very serious. Like, and it's, you know, it's like a Venn diagram. So the power cable, the power cable is just a power cable. But the USB cable is a USB cable and a power cable. And the Thunderbolt cable is a Thunderbolt cable and a USB cable and a power cable. 
And they were like, yeah, just buy the Thunderbolt. If you're worried about it, just buy the Thunderbolt cables. That's like more like nesting dolls than VIN. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how VIN diagrams work. Typically, VIN diagrams are two circles overlapping. So they're supersets. Supersets. Nice. Nailed it. Um, but they were like, yeah, if you're worried about it, just buy the Thunder. So they're just buy the most expensive cable and you'll right. be set. Right. Um, and then how do you plug in your iPhone? Every one of these, <laughs> every one of the MacBook Pros they showed doing demos was Dongle City. Yeah. Yep. Every single and like part of it's a little unfair because they're all plugged into TVs, so they, they all TVs, have HDMI yeah. outs. But every other thing was a dongle too, except for the one guy who's like, "I love this. I love, I love just having one kind of port, and I just plug everything in, and I understand." It. So that guy was good. Yeah, he was happy. All right, Dieter, any last things to say? Do we know how much these things cost yet? Yeah, you can spend anywhere from I think eighteen hundred bucks for the thirteen to sixty seven hundred bucks for a maxed out fifteen <laughs> wait, inch. Wait. Uh, j- just to clarify, though, dude, are you saying that Apple should wait a year for an ARM uh, MacBook Air? Or are you saying that Apple w- is going to wait? Are you making a prediction or a suggestion? I am saying that Apple should update the uh, little MacBook with the best Intel processors it can find, ASAP. Hmm. It should cut the price and make it the default MacBook uh, Air uh, replacement if it believes that those processes are good enough. If it doesn't, it should just put a retina screen on the MacBook Air and put new processes in it and call it a day and just let it be weird for another couple of years. I would be very surprised if uh, if they released an ARM MacBook next year. That to me feels way too early. Like the, I don't th- like it'll they'll have a weird software platform issue if mm-hmm. they do it that way. I think they'd rather have a weird hardware issue of. Which, which Mac should I get? There's not a great like middle-of-the-road ro- Mac to buy than have a weird platform issue. So my hunch is that the ARM MacBook is actually two years away. I So my argument for one year away is they show the pros all this love now. Yeah. They, everybody who's going to use Photoshop buys a new computer because they've been you know blanketed with affection. And then next year when the RMAC comes out and a bunch of things don't work anymore, it doesn't matter because you already just bought a new – because love, love found a way. Mm. Mm. Right? And the, the only people who are buying that thing are the students and, like, they'll get Microsoft to port Word for iOS to it and it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, it, every day it gets easier to port things to ARM and – Software that's written expressly for the Mac is typically written in Swift or Objective-C with Xcode, so it's already going to run well on ARM. Uh, so it's basically the C++ software you have to worry about, and a lot of that is already getting ported to ARM or compilers target ARM. I feel like it, it's it's not as absurd of an idea as it was once upon a time. I don't think they'll well, yeah, have I mean, to. If, I don't think Apple will have to do as many engineering jumps as Microsoft had to do to get Windows on ARM. But what okay. that's going to mean, if they do it next year, just last point, if they do it next year, and, and, and Neil, your, your point is correct, and Paul, I think your point is correct, the, the thing that doesn't fit in that works well in ARM framework is some of the, the heavier duty stuff like Adobe, everything Adobe makes, um, you know, the like Unity, like there, there's a bunch of like pro stuff that will not work well on an ARM laptop unless they wait a little bit longer. And so that's going to mean that there's going to be a much sharper, brighter dividing line between the regular Macs and the Pro Macs. And is that the world that Apple, like if they, the longer they wait, the fuzzier that line gets and the, the better off the platform will seem. But if if there's a bright, sharp line between what works, you know, even a little on a regular Mac versus a Pro Mac, uh, that to me seems like not great. 
I think that this all comes down to does the A12X or whatever emulate a Core M fast enough? Because that's how they got right. through it in the past. And knowing yeah. what I know about the Core M, the answer is yes. <laughs> right? Like you can buy a baby MacBook with like an M3 in it, and that thing is not fast. If they can just get to there, you're probably fine. All right, I'm gonna read this ad, and then Liz is gonna do this week in Elon. Then we're gonna then we're gonna talk about that Surface Go. This episode of the Virtualcast is brought to you by TransferWise. If you're going to need to send money internationally, TransferWise wants to warn you against using your bank or PayPal. Sure, they get your money from A to B, but that transfer costs you more than it should, a lot more. It's the old way. This is the new smarter and cheaper way to spend money internationally. It's called TransferWise. TransferWise was founded by two friends, Tavet and Christo, who were frustrated by the bank's bad exchange rates and high fees. They wondered, what if we could bypass the banks entirely? So they built TransferWise. That was seven years ago. Today, more than two million people use TransferWise. People sending money home, businesses paying suppliers, freelancers getting paid. The list goes on and on. TransferWise's clever new technology gives you a great exchange rate and a low fee, so it'll put some extra money in your pocket for the more important things, because no one has ever said, it is important that my Bank gets extra money, except for the CEO of banks. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash podcast or download the app once again. That is transferwise.com slash podcast. It is the wise way to send money. Hey, this is Liz Lopato, the science editor at The Verge, and welcome to This Week in Elon. So, as you almost certainly know already, there were some boys who were trapped in a Thai cave, a soccer team, been sort of a fixture in the media. And last week, near the end of the week, Elon Musk said that SpaceX was building a kid-sized submarine to help rescue the trapped team. So they were using a long metal tube that might be, let's say, a refashioned part of a Falcon 9 rocket. <laughs> which is a kind of recycling that I would not have expected from rockets, to be honest. But essentially what they had done is they had uh, converted this part of a rocket into an escape capsule. Uh, the idea was that the device, you know, would, would be small and it would have oxygen in it and the kid could lie down inside and then be taken out by divers. So he flew over to Thailand uh, with this capsule. But uh, according to reports from The Guardian and ABC, Musk was politely told that it was not necessarily going to be of use. The actual quote was, although this technology is good and sophisticated, it's not practical for the mission, uh, according to the command center who is overseeing the rescue. But, you know, Elon Musk has, has responded to this, of course, on Twitter to say that it was meant as a backup option. And he was just glad that the boys got out. And he has left the device there in case it is ever useful in the future. So that is the submarine. But that is not all. Somebody tweeted at Elon. Hey, what about Flint? You know, there hasn't been clean water there for a very long time. What do you are you going to do something about that? And then Elon Musk tweeted back. And so he has essentially pledged to try to help make sure that homes in the Flint area have clean water. What he said was literally, please consider this a commitment that I will fund fixing the water in any house in Flint that has water contamination. No kidding. And that was Wednesday. So now the Flint's mayor is tweeting at him to talk about, you know, what the problems are there and saying she'd like to get in touch. But that is an ongoing story uh, and one that I expect we will be following. But that's, of course, because this is Elon Musk, not all. So there's been a bunch going on with Tesla lately. Let's go in chronological order. There's a trade war happening. Donald Trump has put a bunch of tariffs on Chinese goods. China has retaliated. And so that trade war has made Teslas much more expensive in China. If you are trying to purchase a Tesla in China, the cars are going to, to go up. <laughs> the cars are going to be more expensive. 
But an interesting thing is that Elon Musk has just signed a memorandum of understanding to build cars in China, essentially. It's a quote-unquote cooperative agreement uh, with the Shanghai municipal government to build the third gigafactory, the first in China. And they aim to be able to make 500,000 cars per year there in what is the biggest market for electric vehicles in the world. Now, what's interesting about that and the reason why I bring the trade war thing up is because this allows Tesla to potentially get around the tariffs. Because those cars are being produced in China, they're also being sold in China, there is no tariff on the cars. So that might bring the price back down. But this is this is sort of a, a long-term plan. I think they aren't planning to build the Gigafactory this year, and I don't think they're planning to build it next year either. But this is potentially one way, should the tariff stay in place, to get around them. And of course, that's not all. Tesla is also, it was announced today, they have delivered its 200,000th car in the US. And what you may or may not know about Tesla is that there is a tax credit for electric vehicles that you receive until you get to the 200,000th car and then it begins to tail off. So if you are thinking about buying a Tesla in the U.S. and you want to receive the full $7,500 federal tax credit for an electric car, you should do this sooner rather than later because that is going to be phased out. Between now and December 31st, 2018, you can still get that tax credit. But after that, if you get delivery of your car between January 1st and June 30th in 2019, you only get a $3,750 credit. And then July 1st through December 31st, 2019, it's 1875 and then after that, the incentive is dead. I think that pretty much wraps up this week in Elon, although it's been so eventful it's possible that I'm forgetting stuff, which means that if you really want to know what's going on with Elon Musk, you should go to the website, theverge.com, and check us out because all the news is there. Elon, man. Elon. Just a lot. Just a lot. It's a busy guy. Where does he find time to tweet? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I can't get enough of it. Although I will say that the Flint thing, the mayor of Flint, Michigan, tweeting at Elon, like, please call me so I can tell you what we need. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a real turn today. I, I'd be fixed. I really enjoyed the submarine thing because I was just like browsing Twitter, kind of like brain dead, and I just clicked on a video. <laughs> just like watching people take a tube out of, the, of a pool. Yeah, it was no a lot. context. And so I had no idea what was inside the tube. <laughs> so when there was a guy in the tube, I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, Elon. I think this week in Elon is going to be a fixture on our show. It's, it's hard yeah. to... It's hard to do anything else. Anyway, Dieter, Surface Go. Yeah, so Surface Go. This is maybe one of the most divisive gadgets uh, amongst a bunch of Verge staff to come out in a little while. Uh, so it's a 10-inch Surface. It's got, I don't know, Intel Gold processors. I don't really know what the deal is with gold. Pentium Pen Gold. Pentium Gold. It's a Pentium. It's it's okay. it's an Apple-esque choice as far as <laughs> Intel processor age. Let's just yeah. say that. What I will say is that <laughs> Pentium Gold 100% sounds like a retirement community for Intel executives. <laughs> That's all that is. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Pentium Gold. Pentium Gold. Yeah. Uh, it's like it's like their it's their rewards program internally for reporting <laughs> bugs. Yeah. Anyway. Or if you buy 1000 chips from Intel. Yeah. They allow you to retire yeah. at Pentium Gold. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, 
the, the base model has uh, you know whatever the processor is four gigs of RAM, sixty four gigs of storage, three ninety nine. But you got to pay another hundred bucks for a type cover or one thirty if you want to get the cool Alcantara type cover. And if you want the stylus, that's another hundred bucks. So you once you start specking this thing up, it very quickly gets to be um, you know six fifty seven hundred dollars. Uh, at which point you're like, why don't you get a pro? I get the bigger one. Um, and so, like, to me, this thing is fascinating because I'm obsessed with, like, trying to make low-power computers into, like, m- the main computer for a lot of people. Can the iPad do it? I think Windows is more interesting in some ways because it does let you do the full stuff. Um, so I am very fascinated by this. But a lot of other people are like, yeah, no, Windows on four gigs of RAM? No, thank you. This is a failure. This is a Surface RTL over again. And I honestly, like, I don't know how to decide what to think about this thing until I start using it. This is Windows S as well, right? Yes. It ships with Windows S. And then you could upgrade it if you want to. So that, that might mitigate the RAM problem, but it still sounds it sounds pretty dicey. When I saw the photos of this, I was like, oh, uh, Microsoft's shipping their ARM Windows computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why isn't this ARM? I have no idea. Because they're not ready and for it. And it also seems kind of expensive for the parts that are in it. Yeah, but I think what you're getting is, you know, the beautiful engineering and the Surface brand and the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but yeah otherwise you can't, just it's not just parts. I mean, if you if you want this form factor, you can just, like, go buy an Acer, yeah. right? I mean, Microsoft's whole thing with Surface is, like, pushing that market forward. So if you're just looking at a, a spec sheet and you're trying to maximize value for dollar like there's a whole ecosystem of vendors that will do that for you yeah, it's just, it's just tough for me because I, as someone who i really enjoy the 10 inch ipad f- with folding keyboard form factor mm-hmm. yeah and so and i felt like my ipad pro was pretty expensive i bought like a refurbished one so i could get more storage for less money but uh it felt pretty pricey to me and uh uh, I haven't even bought the keyboard cover because I'm borrowing the Verge's keyboard <laughs> cover. So I need to fix that because it's $130. But Microsoft is is not that – I don't know. I feel like they could they, they could really like dagger in the heart of Apple. Like, see, Apple, you don't have to charge this much money for this form factor. But maybe maybe you got to. But I think, again, that's where your, your Dells come into play, right? If you don't mm-hmm. have to do that work and you just sit at the premium, like you can charge the premium. But don't, I mean, man, I really, I'm I'm sorry to anybody who doesn't like excess Apple talk, but I feel like the Apple $1,000 win with the MacBook Air was that they were, it was premium at a competitive price. Yeah. Like there was a moment when that was a good deal. So here's my question for you. Man, I wish Joanna was here. There's a, cause there's a Is scale. this just a netbook? Is this just the world's fanciest? It's $400, which was the classic netbook price. That I've always, felt, I've always felt like Not a tr- RAM. <laughs> True. EMCC. <laughs> what was EMC the name of the processor that was in every netbook? Atom? Yeah, it was the Atom yeah. 230. was in like yeah. every netbook. I used to have a macro to just lay out netbook specs. I'd be like, a new netbook has arrived, and I'd be, I would literally my, write netbook specs and hit return, and it would play it all out. My, my, my netbook moment was I was live blogging at E3, and I had to do live blogs back-to-back, and that was before you could really get like a, an external battery for your MacBook, and I wasn't going to have time to charge. I didn't have two MacBooks. Yeah. So I went to a Radio Shack and bought a horrible netbook. To, to do, like, yeah. live blog number two. 
I used to know them all by heart. I used to know the EPC range by heart. This is the worst. <laughs> See, that's the thing. The true netbook runs Linux. That's in my heart. The netbook was a, the a, wrongest a, thing you've ever said. <laughs> it was a moment. There was a moment there where we're like, oh. No, that Linux was the first EPC had a weird Linux yeah. build on it. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, wait, yeah. what if we put an operating system people want to use on well, here? Because Microsoft had to bow down. Microsoft Microsoft got freaked out by the success of that little Linux, little Linux buddy. <laughs> no. Yeah. Man, we used to cover okay, netbooks so, a lot. Anyway, so here's my question. Is it, is is it this, a netbook or is it a Chromebook competitor or is it an iPad competitor? Or I is it none a, of the above? iPad Pro competitor. Yes, with a much slower processor. Hmm. But I don't know. I think I think they they want to. This is their play to like get in schools. Like they know most of the schools are just going to buy the Dell or the Ace or whatever, but they want to use this as a Halo product for schools um, to take on Chromebooks. Like to just show that you can you can get all this, the Windows stuff, uh, and there is a price point that is like available to you as a school. I think the thing that makes it the iPad competitor is actually hilariously Windows S, right? The the mm. reason that Windows tablets is conceived of as iPad competitors have never really gone anywhere. They've they're like two in ones that can kind of be a tablet. Is because Windows itself has historically not been great at being a tablet operating system. And S is the it provides that set of limitations around the interface in a way that is much more structured. Like you can't accidentally open a full-on Windows desktop app if you have an S app, like mm-hmm. a store app. I don't know. Like that's to that to me is the thing. Like they want to they want to restrict this experience and then give you the you can walk through the door to the other experience if you want it. But to me, this is you see what people are doing with the iPads. Everybody like everybody who has an iPad with a keyboard is like this. If only you could do the one more thing, and this can obviously do that. Hmm. Yeah. Right. But it's still Windows, so you've got to constrain the experience so it's a little bit friendlier. Yeah. Is that? I mean, I know my brother-in-law bought one instantly. He was like, "I've been waiting for this," and he instantly bought one. It's a, it's just a great form factor. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, I kind of to... regret buying the Surface Pro Four, honestly, because uh, I don't use it quite enough to uh, to justify having that full machine and having having this thing be smaller is actually pretty tempting. Yeah. All right. So here's the other thing we got to talk about. Yeah. Magic Leap. Ooh. <laughs> this summer, yeah. which I have learned technically ends late September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they got time. They got time. Yeah. They're shipping. And they, they've been doing live streams. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention to this. They've just been, like, casually live streaming Magic well, Leap demos. Okay, so I watched, I skimmed around because I was looking for it, because they showed some clips of, of, like, captured from hardware of, like, tech demos that looked, frankly, awful. It looked real cheap. Like, yeah. like they looked like you were running iPhone 3G graphics, you know. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, uh, everybody that's worn it has been, like, kind of, blown away by like the sense of presence so i'm sure it's better when you're wearing it than like looking at it from a twitch stream but it does seem like you know this is like it's like the creator's edition right that they're releasing so it's kind of i mean because oculus rift released a developer version and it was really interesting watching the stream because it was clear they were talking to people who want to develop for this hardware but have literally no idea what this hardware is <laughs> because magically <laughs> is so weirdly secretive. I, I found a blog post trying to – so magically released a demo uh, Unity scene so that you could in VR pretend like you were wearing Magic Leap so that you can 
develop your game for Magic Leap. And they had a, a simulated field of view. And someone's doing all this crazy math to try to determine what Magic Leap's actual field of view is. And they still really couldn't come up with like a, a, like a, a definitive answer. So I think based on the demos I've seen, which are honestly like Twitter video clips of long Twitch streams. Yeah. But like Magic Leap is tweeting. They're on their own clips. What they're showing developers right now is how to get objects in the AR scene to interact with reality. Yeah. And so the demos are like low polygon count, like they're crappy, and it's like a little monster that like throws a rock and it like hits the wall behind you and explodes. And all they're trying to get out is well, you can do this. Like here's how this works. Yeah. Like here's how to think about it. What they are not showing off is like high-end graphics rendering. Yeah. What they're not showing off is what they cannot show off is how this actually looks in their light field display. And I think there was a dig headline. I think John Gruber picked it up. The dig headline I think is really unfair, which is like, we've we've now seen Magic Leap and it's incredibly disappointing. Mm -hmm. And like, I am a noted Magic Leap skeptic because they are incredible at getting just the wildest puff pieces yeah. put out in the world. Like Pitchfork did one. Why? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and not, all these pieces never actually say what it is or how it works. So like, I'm yeah. noted skeptic. Although I've heard from some smart people who've worn it that it's real. But they're not yet revealing anything beyond if you're a developer, here's how to begin to build applications inside of this mapping system. And what I'm saying is it looks like this product, I'm mean, obviously consumers are gonna buy this product because they're releasing it widely, but it's gonna this is it seems I mean they're naming it in such a way that you would assume it's intended for developers yeah. to build for the the real consumer magic leap, which is dangerous because that that implies that the real consumer magic leap will be somehow significantly better, as Oculus was significantly better between the developer version and the real version. Yeah, no. at the end of the day, though, is it, it, like what Oculus is doing now is it that much of a leap of over what the developer version could do? Yeah, you think so? Yeah the the original what was it the T yeah. The, the developer, I, f I forget all the names, is like DK1 or whatever, mm -hmm. DK2. Those were much lower resolution, way less ergonomic, um, not nearly as good tracking because they like they added, they like changed up the, the way their sensors work. They changed so much before they released the actual yeah. true. I'm one. just thinking in terms of step change. Like you could, if you wore, I think we had DK3 in our office for a while. Mm. And if you wore that and you wore the final one, you're like, this has been refined. Right. You weren't like, this is a radically new experience. And I think that's right, right, always right. the the challenge with these public developer things mm. where like you can you can put it on, you can see the endpoint, but you have to be very charitable about whether they're gonna get to the endpoint. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I just it's we like it's weird for me to read these like very negative headlines about Magic Leap and me noted skeptic being like, wait, you're you're actually being too skeptical. Like they're just showing <laughs> They're just showing this like basic thing that developers can do inside of their system. Mm -hmm. And what you absolutely cannot show is whether this light field technology works. So first of all, just talk about Oculus. Disclosure, my wife works for Oculus. To me, the big question isn't necessarily it's, – it's how big is the, light, the field of view, all that. It's also what is this software platform? Will they actually get enough support for it? Because I don't know of any software platforms not named Mac, Windows, or iOS that are uh, doing super hot in terms of uh, consumer adoption. Um, and develop and getting developers to make consumer apps. Um, I guess you could put Oculus and Vive on that list now too. But then the 
I don't know. The most hilarious thing to me is this AT and T partnership. Like AT and T is like they're going to sell them when they are, when they're ready for consumers, and they're going to exclusively provide the wireless service for them. But like it's very clear looking at the the PR for it that the entire deal with AT and T doing this and making an investment in Magic Leap and blah 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 is simply so that they can be the exclusive wireless carrier to have these things in their stores so that they can get customers to come into an AT&T store so they can look at cool stuff in AR. It's like a Santa Claus. And then buy an LG V30. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I just random picked. I don't know. I picked that phone. It's good. It's good. So by the way, breaking news, while we've been podcasting. I've been waiting for you to say this. Department of Justice filed to appeal the AT&T Time Warner merger. Oh, which Give is incredible. Break. Hey, it's incredible. <laughs> what are you? Come on. I don't think you give it a break. I'm saying lawyers. <laughs> they can't stop it. They're like, we got these laws. We should try them out. I mean, the Trump administration is like, everything's cool. Any merger can go through except this one <laughs> because the president hates it. CNN. Like, that's what's happening here. And it's wild because the remedy now mm. for a deal that has closed is that they would have to separate. Yep. Right? That Like, they let it, they didn't file in time to block it. It's from happening. It happened. No one heard a word about it. Mm. And now they're, if they win on appeal, they have to undo the merger. Do you think that what happened was they were like, you know what, we lost, it's fine, we're just going to walk away from this. And then they, they we, we, could, we actually talked about this, they, they heard... They read the stories about the the leaked meeting between HBO and yeah, an AT&T executive the, where the HBO exec was like, you, we got to make some more stuff. And yeah, the head like, of the ah. DOJ is like a Game of Thrones fan. He's like, yeah, I don't like yeah. this plan <laughs> at all. I don't know, he's, man. He's tried to p- protect Khaleesi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's wild. I don't know what their theory of the appeal is. We're going to have to read the filing. But it's happening. Okay. But I will say this. When we talk about AT&T, it just occurred to me the other day, and this is, came out of the, the head of Warner Media, which is what Time Warner has been renamed to inside of AT&T, which they would have to undo. Well, there's no more time? There's no more time because Time Inc. is a separate yeah. company that is now owned by right. uh, another magazine company. So Time is gone. Warner's gone. It's all gone, except for the DOJ might bring yeah, it back. Yeah. Anyway, and the reason they changed it was they don't want the association with Time Warner Cable. Yeah, who would? <laughs> <laughs> Time Warner Cable is renamed Spectrum. Like this whole thing is gone. It's just memory hold. Um, but even at this meeting that the head of Warner Media had with HBO executives, which was reported all in the world. Um, so first, the New York Times ran a big piece, and they were like, they had some quotes, and the quotes are crazy. He's like, we need to make more profits. The next year of your life will be like childbirth. It'll be really painful. And he's like, my wife hates it when I say this. <laughs> all this is insane. It's <laughs> like. You should listen to this person who actually had the children. Uh, she lived it. Yeah. And he's like, what I say to her is, but we love our kids. Like, all this is horrible. Like, this is all true. This is all true. Are the kids Westworld and Game of Thrones? <laughs> anyway, so the Times runs it. People freak out. Peter Kafka at Recode gets the whole audio, runs long transcripts. It's obviously the tone of it is a little different, you know, when you have the long transcripts. But there's this piece in the middle where – he describes what can only be thought of as a supervillain plan, which is we're investing in our 5G network, which will then em- enable autonomous cars because they'll be able to talk to each other. And when you're in your autonomous car, 
you're going to have extra time. And during that time, you should be watching our streaming service, which is also enabled by 5G. And now it's like, and you're wearing your AR headset. Also, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, this is just a wild supervillain plan. And at the end of it, you go to your job at AT&T yeah. because we bought every company in the world. It's it's crazy. I like someone who thinks of autonomous cars as ad inventory. <laughs> well, that was that was I mean, everybody's big thing back in the day. And they, Leco, they, it turns out, yeah. run by supervillains. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, to like me big... the, the biggest thing. The, the biggest thing out of that meeting wasn't the you know the the confusion about like are they going to try and turn HBO into Netflix? Like I don't think so. It seemed like it at first, but it seems like. They, what what AT T cares about is they need to own hours a day, but they don't need HBO to be the only thing that gets them hours a day. But the other reason they want HBO is so that they can collect more data. And the the phrase is that that allows us to create quote alternative models of advertising, unquote. I don't know what that means. It means they're gonna they're gonna show you ads for the LG V thirty inside your magically headset <laughs> while you drive around your AT T car. <laughs> All of it's terrifying. I cannot wait to read this appeal. We'll have full coverage of it. I'm going to read an ad, and then we're going to have the Paul segment, and then I, we just have a bunch of other stuff. Talking about. This is from our friends at TechMeme. We love TechMeme. By the way, The Verge, almost since its inception, number two site on TechMeme. So, of course. Anyway, TechMeme has a new podcast called The TechMeme Ride Home. It's like NPR's marketplace, but for tech news. Just look in your podcast app for The TechMeme Ride Home. Please subscribe to it. Techmeme.com is great for visiting several times a day to find out what you missed in World of Tech. They're just taking what Techmeme is and distilling it into podcast form. Same news, headlines, context about what happened today in the world of tech. It's a daily show, Monday through Friday, posts around 5 p.m. Eastern every afternoon. It's only 20 minutes long. It's just the top stories in the world of tech, top posts about those stories, top tweets and conversations. The host is Brian McCullough, who also hosts the Internet History Podcast. Internet History Podcast has been running for four years now. Techmeme Rhyme Home is his new show from our friends at Techmeme. Go check it out in your podcast app. All right, Paul. Mm-hmm. This is a big one, man. I know. You do this segment every week, but this week, every what's week, true? Here's the thing. Every week, I do a segment with the same name. What's your segment called? It's called Hearings. And okay. Hearings is spelled uh, like the plural of hearing, but with two R's. This week is very special because... This segment of hearings on the Verge cast that I do every week, and it's always called the same thing, is brought to you by Darn Tough Vermont Socks, a vertically integrated merger of premium <laughs> merino and your feet. Made in the USA and unconditionally guaranteed for life. Use promo code Verge at checkout for 20% off your first order at Darn Tough. Com. And look, I can't tell anybody what to do, but you you should really buy some socks. <laughs> <laughs> so, hearings. Hearings is uh, the earbuds yeah. that are earrings. Okay. All right? They're called Swings Bluetooth Earrings. Yeah. It's a Kickstarter, okay. obviously. Yeah, of course. And uh, I want to love it, uh, but I can't because it looks so... Completely impractical because they they don't they're not just like hanging from the earrings and you take them out and then you put them in your ear you like swivel it up but it stays connected to your ear, which oh seems just like it's just like if it, it would pull on your earlobes if you have the wrong sized earlobes I don't know. Also, these look impractically small for like the battery life that they're promising. Also, it's like like any of like these true wireless. 
They have to. Ha- they have like a charging case, so that you got to take them out of your ears to charge. I don't know. I I love it in principle, but uh, I'd say a swings and a miss. Wow. Also, uh, as earrings, they don't look great. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not so an wait, expert. I'm but just yeah. gonna say this. Our wonderful intern McKenna Kelly wrote this post. She is, yeah, she's great. She's super into. She's it. into it. And she's so into really, it. That's why yeah. I, I feel extra bad for. for <laughs> and to be honest, the, the great thing is, is that I don't have pierced ears. I don't have to make this decision. Yeah, I'm just saying, McKenna, who is in it. Yeah, she's like, I'm ready for hearings. She's feeling wow. it. Wow. So hearings. All like, right. Her next task as an intern is clipping Bluetooth re- headphones to reiterate. Read it. It's hearing plural. Two R's. What's Hearings. sponsored by? Darn tough socks. All right, we're gonna Darn we're gonna work Vermont on the socks. ad execution over time. Darn tough Vermont <laughs> socks. We're gonna get better at this. Merino wool. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but your feet are so sweaty right now, but they won't have to be. I mean, I know I asked the advertisers to sponsor the segment, but now I feel bad. We got a, we got a few more weeks of this coming. Off if you are interested, verge. darntough.com. Stop it. You've given them enough. <laughs> All right, a couple of things in the grab bag here. YouTube TV went down during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I watched a bunch of YouTube TV. Um, it is by far, I think, the best streaming TV cord cutting service out there. Like it's just well made. But going down during the World Cup is not a good look. Also, I don't think it looks very good, and it only streams in stereo. So it's like uh. just a lot. I don't think there's a streaming TV service that, hand- that handles the full range yet. Hmm. Of like the, yeah, the dust surround. I had I'd, the highs and the lows with YouTube TV during the World Cup during the the Croatia game um, because I was I I it was down. I was like, ah, whatever. I'll deal with it later. And then it came back up. And then I was a full minute minute and a half ahead of the people that were watching. And I think on Fox Sports. And so I was sitting at my desk, and all of a sudden I like jumped back from my desk and threw my hands in the air. And went, ah! And everyone turned and looked, and I was like, nothing. Just like quietly sat back down, <laughs> and then they all like turned and stared at their screens, and then saw the goal. It was amazing. Ooh. We have a lot of Brits on the Verge staff. Yeah, so yeah. We're, if we're we're a little quiet. Maybe overnight. too many Brits. <laughs> <laughs> we have one. We have one person from Croatia. He's very happy. yeah. Viren's He's very happy. happy. Yeah, I, I, I just not sold on the streaming TV bundle thing. I tried uh, YouTube TV for the Olympics, and I just got tired of like trying to like tell it that I want to record all the Olympics. So it's like, well, this is not working as a DVR. And then for like for live sports, it's really easy to type in <laughs> it literally any sport. So name a sport that you know about. Uh, football. Okay. Whichever version of football that you care for. Okay. Well, let's say the NFL. You type in NFL streams Reddit. Yeah. And just see what happens. <laughs> I know what happens. Although there. right now, <laughs> the the because it, it, it there's a a, uh, a streaming protocol that's kind of like torrenting, so it's a peer to peer protocol. So it doesn't go down during the big game. Uh, it just puts a lot of burden on Comcast's infrastructure. It uh, it worked beautifully for me, uh, but also there's a warning that says like Soda Player, which is like the popular app to play this on Windows, has like a virus right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I That's feel like lot. it all balances out. All right, next in the grab bag, Xbox One getting Dolby Vision support. Now there are three things that light up all the lights: the Apple TV in the future, Atmos and Vision, Chromecast Ultra thing I've been using, Atmos and Vision. Xbox One. Got them both. Not the NV- I thought NVIDIA Shield had all the lights. NVIDIA Shield does, does HDR10. They have promised a software so update. so disappointed. 
Yeah, but I'm I'm buying Xbox One X. Yeah, I can tell. It's, it's happening. You're gonna go One X. You're not gonna go One S. One S is so cheap. No, but I want all the I want all the 4Ks and the fine non-interlaced. Right. You know the the words that the gamers say. <laughs> I, want, I want all of them. When the new Madden comes out, I'm definitely I'm letting this PS4. Yeah, Pro well, and fall also by the like winter's coming up, and you're you're gonna need something to heat your house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very efficient. <laughs> One little piece of Apple news that makes me sad. They're ending their photo book operation. They're no longer printing photos for people. I only even bring this up because Apple photo books used to be just like a default gift in my family because hmm. they're great and they're like well made and everything about photos. Apple like makes the world's most popular camera and their entire photo ecosystem is like out of control bad. It like it makes me sad. I used to use iPhoto. I used to use iPhoto at events because it was so much faster than anything else. It's so weird. I, it, it was probably my number one tech support issue over the past like five ten years was my computer is full. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything anymore. And obviously VRAM, right? They can't get any virtual yeah. memory allocated because the hard drive's full. Obviously, that's why nothing works. But it's because of the photo collection. But Apple never made a way. To keep on having a photo collection, <laughs> but it not be on your hard drive, no, and it be like seamless. They do it now. What the, the cloud? photos do it now, but it's what the, yeah. the you got to really trust that iCloud. There, there should five years ago, I should have been able to buy a hard drive at Best Buy, plug it in, and say, "This is my backup drive. Keep some thumbnails on my computer, and store big old stuff that I don't look at on this." And now you can do that with the magic of iCloud. Your backup drive is somewhere in North Carolina. <laughs> it's solar-powered data center, powered by love. That's right. No, it's just like uh, we uh, we have Max, we have the kid, right? Yeah. And it is just remarkable to me. I care about photos now. It's all these mobile phones are great, but like our little Sony RX100, like just takes a better photo. Yeah. And then I put it into a system. I put it into a computer, and I'm like, this Apple Photos thing is like not great. So now I have Lightroom. And now I'm just a pro photographer. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like just a little bit of caring about how my photos work led me into this entirely pro workflow. And it's like, it doesn't have to be this way. But anyway. Yeah, I need I was, to spend a, a solid, I don't know, week to actually get good at Lightroom. As good at Lightroom as I used to be at Apple Photos. Apple Photos uh, doesn't maintain when you switch from one, editing one photo to the next one. doesn't remember that you want to maintain the aspect ratio when you crop. So you have to manually choose it every time. I've been asking them to fix it for three years. They haven't done it. And that is the thing that is kicking me off of photos into Lightroom more than anything else. Um, Lightroom, CC, the, the sort of like cloud Lightroom. Coolest thing about it, this is so over the top. This is like you have to be such a ridiculous gadget person. The coolest thing about it is you can use the Apple Pencil to do edits on the iPad Pro. So like my photo, and I just like, like doing it. There's no reason for me to be doing this. So now my workflow is like I take the photo, I pull the card out, I put it into a laptop, upload everything to Lightroom, wait for it to go into the cloud, pull it down on my iPad, and then color. It's <laughs> it's very satisfying, completely ridiculous. But like Apple could have been there, yeah, mm-hmm. and they just weren't. I just gave up on taking photos. I didn't want to be the person that solved a photography workflow. Yeah, the problem is uh, the baby yeah. is cannot be no. responsible for her own photography. <laughs> <laughs> no one will remember her. <laughs> She's great. It's just you suddenly you're like, oh, I gotta figure this out. I better figure this out right now. Yeah. She gets bigger every day. All right, Dieter, you have written here the web lives, I am telling you. <laughs> the, the web is not dead yet. I'm <laughs> telling you. Okay. 
Uh, we, we shouldn't spend too much time on these, but uh, there's this service called itty.bitty.site, which I love. It takes an entire web page and then encodes it directly into the URL, and then you send that URL to somebody, and the web page doesn't have to be hosted on a server. It can all just be rendered locally because everything on it is encoded in the URL. It's amazing. This uh, this reminds it turns me a web page into like an attachment. What does it even uh, well, mean to be a website if there's no site? It's just like a thing you send to somebody. Well, and then you take that long URL and then you put it in like a tiny URL type thing. Yeah. Now it's not even like gigantic. Yeah. It's pretty it's cool. Great. Or yeah, I, I don't know. I that's it. Like I just I just think it's really clever and and just if you just sit and think about like going to a website and then realize that there's no website for this thing. It's just a like a URL attachment thing. You end up like spinning in circles for a little while. And it's a it's a really enjoyable spin and I highly recommend it. Itty.bitty.site. And then the other one I, wa- I wanted to talk about, uh, I just think it's like this amazing mashup of like cool new web technologies, sort of. So there's Glitch, which I don't know if we've talked about it too much, but it's a great little app platform. Neil Dash runs it. And Somebody made a, a, a cool little glitch app that as you're driving, the map updates and reads you a Wikipedia article of something that you're near. And so that's cute. That's cool. I just think it's super funny that the tech lead for the Google AMP project made a cool little web app using glitch. I like to take those two giant trends in the web and then they just like happen to intersect this week. Yeah, I, I, I really think there's something I, I've been I fall Neil Dash on on Twitter, and he's always tweeting fun little glitch mm-hmm. things. And it is, we went and visited Glitch. Yeah, it's really inspiring. Yeah, to see people like make make things. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like I, it just reminds me of what the the web felt like growing up. Of like, it's full of websites made by people. Yeah, Glitch is really cool. Yeah. I mean, we Paul and I, their office is next door to us, so we yeah. just like went over and had lunch with them. It's so cool, and they had this cool feature. This is why it's like community building is really hard, especially at scale, and they think really hard about how to do it. And, but they have this cool feature where if you're working on a project on Glitch and you need help, you just like push a button and it tells everyone else, like, hey, I need some help. Yeah, it's and like a people, little hand raise emoji. And then people come and help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. We should do something bigger with Glitch. Don't take that idea. If you're another tech website, tech me, Ryan Home, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. Uh, I want to tell you uh, just at the end here you're a Vergecast listener, you like the Verge. We're running an audience survey right now. Just go to theverge.com slash survey. We're just getting, it's been like two-ish years since our last big redesign. I'm not saying we're going to redesign the site again, but that was the last time we did a bunch of user research. We're just doing it again. All all felt this time. (laughs) Yeah. Skewmorphic Verge. Oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Easy. Um, Easy. Anyway, (laughs) go take the survey. It's just for us. We're not sharing this data or something or anything like that. It's literally... We're trying to figure out where people get it. I looked at the results today. 86 people didn't know we had a website. This <laughs> is just a fact. They're like, where were you not aware of The Verge? And it's like most people were not aware that like some RSS feed publishes to LinkedIn. Some people didn't know we had an Instagram. 86 people did not know we had a website. I feel you. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, so anyway, theverge.com slash survey. Go take that. It's been we'll, 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 we'll share some high-level data when we're when we get it wrapped up and all sort of that. Not in a public way, just like in an interesting factoid way. Again, the data is just for us. It's not for any nefarious Russian actors. It's just for <laughs> us to make the bridge better. We'd appreciate it. Also, Converge with Casey Newton is running right now. 
it that show is amazing. Just go Every listen to it. Every episode's a gem. So good. Um, you can also follow us on all the social. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Give us give us those stars. You can also listen to Rico Decode with Kara Swisher, Rico Media with Peter Kafka. Wonderful shows. You can also tweet at us. I'm Reckless. Paul's Future Paul. Theaters at Backlon. I'm, 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 I'm going to – one more thing. Thank you to everybody who subscribed to our YouTube channel. We just hit uh, – The Verge just hit uh, 2 million subscribers. Verge That's Science is, is closing in 100,000 subscribers, which is incredible for a brand-new channel. And just we really appreciate everybody who smashed that sub button, fam. Thank you. Wow. Do it if you haven't. Did you ring the bell? Ring the bell. All right, that's it. Goodbye. Rock and roll. Promo code.